Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. So, Dr. Cam, good to have you back on the program. Why don't we start with this issue of the carbon tax and, uh, and the energy issues and the increase in the price of fuel and energy in this country and what it does to every sector of our economy and the, wa- the wallets of all Canadians. Well, uh, nice to be back, by the way. Hope the good listenership as well. You know, you can call a carbon tax a lot of things. You can call it environmentally friendly. You can call it something that a smart consumer or producer would want. But at the end of the day, Roy, it's it's just a tax. And so what it's trying to do for a 30-second lesson is that we consider pollution in the economy as an externality, which is a cost or a benefit caused by a producer that is not necessarily financially incurred by that producer. Now, the good news is um, externalities can be positive or negative. And so a carbon tax is a way of what we call internalizing an externality. In other words, let's take the final price of the good and include both the internal plus the external costs, not just the private costs. So in theory, in theory, the tax will reduce pollution and encourage more environmentally friendly alternatives. Now, if you want, we can go over a half a dozen pros or a half a dozen cons to a carbon tax. But in general, I think that people have to understand what time of life we are living in. We are just coming out, coming out of a pandemic that if not for extraordinary, extraordinary intervention on behalf of the government would be the greatest economic downturn since the Great Depression. And so again, I will debate anybody on the pros and cons of a carbon tax and maybe Maybe there's a time to bring in a carbon tax, but the time is not 2021 when so many people are struggling just to pay their bills, Roy. It's the wrong tax at the wrong time, the wrong policy by the wrong government. Yeah, I, I like the way you said that. And and we know that people, and I'm looking at emails, uh, Professor Cam, from listeners after they heard Mr. McTagg and they're sending me emails and they're very concerned about what energy is costing them now. They've seen their hydro bills. They don't know whether they should be on the plan that says, well, we'll pay for monthly consumption or we'll be on a fixed plan where we pay a certain amount each month. And then at the end of the year, depending on how much we've used, we'll either have to pay a lump sum to get through the last 12 months or we'll get money back. People are confused and they're, and they're hurting. And this, the carbon tax and the taxation of energy is going to hit every single person in this country. Well, that's that's exactly it, Roy. And you know what? Uh, I know this question over how you want to pay your gas bill and your hydro bill. And I would argue it really is uh, not something to worry about. We are going to get slammed either way. You're either going to pay it equally monthly and then you'll equalization at the end or you'll pay a higher. It doesn't really matter. So I'm not going to make anybody feel any better and sleep better tonight. But if their biggest concern is which plan do I pay my bills? Don't worry pay your bills. They're going to go up either way. And I think that that's kind of the thesis, Roy, that I want to get across today. And maybe, maybe somebody is listening from the government to understand that every they, they try to sell this. They try to sell this. I know Mr. Trudeau's too busy for Reconciliation Day, but maybe he's not too busy to listen to this, which is that everybody is concerned about the environment. They stand up there with that smug look like we understand that the environment is of major, major importance to people. 
Of course, it's of major importance to people. People want to breathe clean air and drink the water. Mr. Trudeau has to understand that that's not the question. The question is, there are more, more pressing issues right now. And so for people to say, I'm more worried about my gas tank, more worried about prices in the grocery store than I am about the environment, that's not a scathing indictment of the environmental process. And the left wing have to drop that narrative. It's just people saying, I have to pay my mortgage and my bills and get through to next month. Of course, I'd like clean air and drinking water, but that's not my priority right now if I'm about to lose my house. And just months ago, we found out that more than half of Canadians, more than half of our adult population is within $200 of not being able to pay their monthly bills. Can you imagine that? I mean, could you imagine, Roy? $200 between you and insolvency and some yachts in Ottawa thinks that tacking 10 cents a liter onto a tank of gas per liter is a good idea. I don't know what goes through the government's head. I don't know who they're catering to. They just had an election that meant nothing. They're back in power. So I don't understand the need to do this now. I don't know why this government trips over its own shoelaces every time when it when what it should be doing is actually walking the walk and talking the talk of helping Canadians survive. And right now there's far too many Canadians who are this close, as you said, to not surviving. They'd yeah. like clean air. Yeah. They really would. But you know what they'd like more, Roy? Food and gas to get to work. We've had people in tears on this program sharing with us how difficult their own economic realities are. It's very difficult to listen to people who are crying emotional about their about their bills because they can't pay them. They want to pay them. It's not they don't want to. They just can't. And they find themselves in extremely difficult straits. And at the same time, we have a prime minister who said the monetary policy really isn't of any interest to him. Yeah, the monetary policy is of no interest to him for two reasons. Number one, he has no clue what monetary policy is or how <laughs> it works. And number two, he seems to have a very non-business Um, non-economic growth agenda. And why he's choosing this present time to follow that is beyond me. So when he comes out and makes asinine statements like monetary policy isn't our concern, no, of course it's not his concern. And I've had people write to me, Roy, and Twitter me and say, you know, you sound like you're defending Mr. and Mrs. Average, but you're just living in an ivory tower and you're not $200 away from losing your house. But I'm telling people, if they believe anything I say, anything I say is that as an economist, what I care about are people feeding their families. And at some point, all you have to do is look at the data, get rid of the anecdotal evidence and, and, and Mr. Singh and his expressions of valor and look at the data. And the data says that too many Canadian families are on a shaky foundation. And I would like to help them, but their I don't control the monetary policy, but the Trudeau government does. And they might want to think about making life a little bit easier for the people that they might want to vote for them yet again. You know, uh, this isn't about anything that Roy Green does, but I was at a food bank uh, recently and I drop off food um, periodically. I try to make sure that I contribute to the, uh, you know, the needs Canadians have for proper nutrition. There was a time in my life where I lived in a homeless shelter and never knew where the next meal was coming from. So I, I try to contribute as I can. And I was speaking to a person at the food bank Dr. Cam and uh, I, I, you know, he took what I what I brought and put it on the shelf near the door, 
And I just happened to say, so is this going to be going back uh, somewhere to be distributed or, or arranged and then distributed and brought forward in the next few days to, uh, you know, picked up? He said, it's going to be gone before the end of the afternoon. Roy, I have to tell you a story and I won't give away any uh, confidential information, but my wife belongs to a Facebook group called, and I forget the exact title of it, but loosely translated, it's people that are food unstable. And when you finish your dinner as a family, if you put your leftovers on this webpage, Roy, no exaggeration, they're gone within the hour. People will come and take your leftovers to feed their family. And this is the problem when we talk about things like carbon taxes, and we'll get to equalization payments uh, today or one of these days. But we're talking about luxuries. We're talking about luxuries of life that don't exist right now. When my wife can put our leftovers on a webpage and they're gone within an hour from somebody who can't feed their children. We've lost our way. We live in a society that has this social safety net and we brag about it. We brag how there's nobody left behind, but there's many. There are thousands of people left behind and the and and any country starts and ends with its political leaders and ours have forgotten those people and they cannot convince me otherwise. So Professor Cam, you mentioned the uh, equalization payments and there will be that referendum in Alberta on the 18th. What do you want to say? What needs to be said and understood by everybody in this country about the equalization formula? That I take a lot of knowledge from Broadway, Roy. I've, I've used this analogy before, and there's a line in the Broadway play Hamilton where somebody asks, are we a nation of states? What's the state of our nation? And I think that the people of Alberta, albeit you said it's not a binding um, vote, but it is a vote to show how people are sitting, And I think they have to really think about what do they want in a country as opposed to what they want in a province. I mean, we saw what happened when Quebec decided that they wanted to break away and the negative feelings that came toward that. And then in the 90s, they actually had the referendum and it was ultimately a a no. to, to. But I think that the people of Alberta have to think, I mean, I could sit here and tell you why they would vote yes. We call them the four U's, right? Unfair, unaffordable, unnecessary, unacceptable. We're doing great as much as they bungled energy, but that's another phone call. But they say we are a have province. Why should we give money to a have not province? And I think the answer is actually easy. And you know, I'm the farthest thing from a socialist. I'm the farthest thing from wanting everybody to be equally wealthy. I'm a capitalist at heart, but a country Uh, A country and a province, especially, Roy, is not a perfectly competitive firm trying to drive the other provinces out of business. It's a different model. Equalization is a commitment by all Canadians so that other Canadians have access to comparable services no matter where they live. So I would ask Alberta to think about um, delivering quality education, health care, social services to an entire country from coast to coast. If you remove equalization, poorer provinces are going to offer far less generous government programs than the richer uh, provinces. And what's going to happen there is in its own way, not only are you going to make the rich richer and the poor poorer, but you're going to let Ottawa, Ottawa, Roy, become more and more um, in charge of social programs. And I think if we've learned anything over the last few years, I'd like Ottawa in charge of less and less. 
when it comes to our economy. So as much as I see why an Albertan could say this is good for me, Canada has never been a country based on what is good for me. It has always been what is good for us. And so uh, anything but a no vote, anything but a vote to say that we are a country, not just a group of independent provinces, to me is absurd. Well, the Albertan response, some of it anyway, is going to be we've contributed $67 billion over the last however many years that equalization has been in place. I think it started in 1950. You would know better than I. And uh, the last time that we received anything uh, in the equalization formula from Ottawa was 1964. So there is a great deal of resentment, particularly over that what happened in the province over the last couple of years, last five or six or years, and uh, Ottawa's role in that. We'll see what happens on the 18th. But I have a hunch I know how it's going to go. And you do but too. But Roy, you know what? You know what? Where, and then those same people, when the price of gas was hitting lows and they were screaming that our total revenues are too low and we may need an equalization payment into the gas industry, where are these hypocrites now? I mean, it's... It's amazing when you're at a dollar forty a liter, you have a really pumped up chest. But when it was sixty five and seventy cents a liter, you were coming out with your pocket, uh, your hat in your hand. So I think people of Alberta better take a good long look in the mirror. Well, I think people of Alberta are looking also what's happened to them over the last number of years, how many jobs they've lost, how much has gone under, how much difficulty they've all experienced, and we'll see that reflected on the 18th, not just in that referendum on equalization, but in the other questions as well. By the way, I really like their idea of elected senators. We either need to get rid of the Senate, I don't open that can of worms, or elect senators. There's no point in having this appointment situation continue. Now, let me ask you one other question in the time we have left. The Pandora Papers. I know you have strong thoughts on that. Mr. Singh said during the election campaign, he said twice on this program, that the ultra, well, he said it every day, everywhere he went, but he said it twice on this program, that the ultra-wealthy and the influential have to pay their fair share. So along come the Pandora Papers, and I get, as I said to you earlier, the predictable emails that say, see, Green, you were talking about the wealthy and you can't overtax them because they're going to leave, et cetera, et cetera. You're wrong. Look at the Pandora Papers. What does Dr. Cam say about the Pandora Papers? Well, first of all, I'd like to say that Mr. Singh had one job. He had one job to win an election. He failed. So thanks, Mr. Singh, for your opinion. Second of all, you know, we have um, things in this country called marginal tax rates. We have marginal tax rates and they top out at about 53%. So it really doesn't matter whether whether billionaires are storing their money in other countries or not. Now, don't get me wrong, tax incidents, tax avoidance, these things, you know, we have to deal with them. And, and if it's criminal or illegal activity, then it has to be looked into. But the point is, whether these offshore accounts exist or not, companies, massive companies like banks, and like e-business companies that are billion dollar corporations are still only going to be taxed at this top marginal tax rate. So really, I would argue these Pandora papers, these hidden accounts, they're meaningless. We have a tax base. It gets taxed at an increasing marginal rate until it maxes out. That doesn't make a damn bit of difference whether people are storing money in other countries or not. But, but to your point, and it's an excellent one, why do these exist? Why are people going to these countries to leave their wealth? Why did billionaires like E.P. Taylor say, thanks, I'll take my ball and my bat and my glove and go somewhere else? Because nobody likes to feel gouged. And the problem is, and I'm, you know me, I'm an advocate for, for Mr. and Mrs. Working Class person. They don't want to pay more taxes either, but neither do corporations. And corporations, believe it or not, are being just as gouged, just as gouged 
as Mr. and Mrs. Average Working Person. The only difference is Mr. and Mrs. Average Working Person don't have a place to store their wealth safely like businesses do. But it makes no difference to the tax base. They'd still be taxed at 53% of their company's gross profits. End of story. Come back to something you said in the seconds we have left about what this country is and what we have to decide we are. Blaine Higgs, the Premier of uh, New Brunswick, shortly after he was elected, and shortly after he attended the first Premiers and Prime Minister Conference, came on this program and he said, Canada has to decide whether we're a nation or a notion. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.